Welcome back to Search the Scriptures. Great to be back with all of our listeners again today. This is Gary Hutchins with the Sunny Slope Church of Christ in Omaha, Nebraska. Great to be with you and open up God's Word and study a little bit more fully, a little bit deeper, a little farther into God's Holy Word to try to understand those Scriptures a little bit more fully. You know, We've talked about how precious a blessing it is for us to have the Bible, to have such ready access to it. It's not that way everywhere in the world. We can have a Bible here, just about anybody, uh, even if they don't have a dollar to buy one. Somebody will give them a Bible if they'll just ask. Go up to a church building, or maybe just ask a person on the street, would you give me a Bible? Somebody will give them a Bible for nothing. We have that kind of ready access to the scriptures, but again, it's not that way everywhere. You know, there are people in countries around the world who would stand in line, long lines, waiting patiently to receive a copy of God's word if it were just available to them. And in so many cases, it's not available. We can have a Bible. In fact, most of us probably in our homes have multiple copies of God's word. And how sad it is that so many of us almost never open it up and read it. Isn't that something? We have the most important body of instruction that the world has ever received. We have the book that gives us the greatest guidance to live the best life that mankind can live. With the greatest hope, and that is eternal life in heaven with God. And so many of us almost never open it up and read it. How do you explain that? Someone has said that familiarity breeds contempt. And so if you want to have a receptive audience, if there's some kind of teaching, life-changing teaching that you want to offer to somebody, then don't try to offer it to your own family. Don't try to offer it to your own neighbors who know you, to your friends who are close to you, because they would tend to not be as receptive as a complete stranger. Now, that's a principle that's out there that I think to a great extent is fairly valid. And so we can have a Bible. We've got multiple copies of it in our, in our homes, but we don't read it. People who don't have access to it in other countries would so dearly love to have just one copy. You see the difference between the two settings. We need to get into God's word. Here in Search the Scriptures, that's what we strive to help you do. Because you see, real faith comes by hearing the Word of God, Romans 10 and verse 17. And we want to help you develop your faith deeper, stronger, more meaningful. We want to help you come to God through Jesus Christ, repenting of your sins, confessing your faith in Him as God's Son and your Lord and Savior, and surrendering to Him in baptism at which point the blood that he shed on the cross will cleanse you of the guilt of your sins, and you will be reborn spiritually, made new spiritually, given literally a new start on life. We want to help you 
along this line and help you help make this your reality. At the end of the program today, jot down the information that we will give you, how to contact us, ask for that free Bible study. It's free. It will give you the basic instructions of how to walk with God and be able to look forward to eternal life with him in heaven. You can also receive a copy of today's program on CD if you would like that. In both cases, we'll take care of the postage. It's all free. All you have to do is ask. We're going to get a little farther into our study on God's grace. We've been talking about how we're saved by the grace of God and only by the grace of God. But now that's not saying that there's not something that God expects of us in response to his offer of salvation by grace. We'll get into that in a later section. But we've been looking at John chapter 1, verses 1 through 14, also verse 17, talking about how by God's grace he sent his son into this world as the Savior to bring the gospel message of salvation to all of mankind. We've been looking at Paul's listing of all the spiritual blessings in the heavenly places that are there for our blessing if we will come to God through Christ and live in Christ, Ephesians 1, verses 3 through 10. We looked at Paul's reminder to the Christians in the congregation at Ephesus of how they had before they became Christians, been dead in their trespasses and sins and then made alive in Christ by the grace of God as they came to God through Christ in obedience and surrender. Now, let's look at verses 11 through 14 of Ephesians chapter 2. Paul goes on. Therefore, remember that you, once Gentiles in the flesh. Now, what does Paul mean when he identifies them as having once been Gentiles in the flesh? We see humanity in our day and age and in our culture as coming from different nations, on different continents, and in different ethnicities. So we may look at somebody and say, oh, you're French, aren't you? Or you're German, or you're English, or you're African, or you're Chinese, or you're from one of the Asian countries. The Israelite people, the Jews of Old Testament times and New Testament, the New Testament time, which the New Testament was written, they only saw two classifications of people, themselves, the Jews, and everybody else who they put under the umbrella of Gentiles. Now, for the most part, almost completely, Gentiles did not believe in God. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying there were atheists. 
almost all of them believed in something they identified as deity, but it was some statue, it was some image that they created or carved or found. They were idol worshipers. And all of those images, all of those objects through which they worshiped, they were not gods. But they, those Gentiles thought of them as being gods. And so they worshiped through them, bowed down to them, prayed to them, and served them in different ways. But they, again, were absolutely wrong in that practice because there is only one God, and that is the God of heaven. So when Paul says, remember that you, once Gentiles in the flesh, he's talking to these Christians at Ephesus, having come out of the practice of idolatry, and having come to believe in God through Jesus Christ. Now, in the flesh also is a more specific designation. You see, going all the way back to Abraham, God instructed that the people, be circ- the male people, be circumcised the cutting away of the flesh of the foreskin. And that was a physical point of identity for the people of God, the Israelites. They were to be circumcised and to be circumcised on the eighth day after their birth. The Gentiles, almost exclusively, were not circumcised. They did not practice physical circumcision. And so when Paul says here, therefore remember that you, once Gentiles in the flesh, that identified them as Gentiles, that is, having been non-believers in God, having been idol worshipers, but also having not been circumcised physically. Then he goes on and says, who are called uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision made in the flesh by hands. He's simply using very descriptive language here of identity. He's saying, you once were Gentiles. You were people who did not believe in God, did not follow God, did not worship God because you followed idols. In fact, most Gentiles of that day and age probably did not even know about God. And then he said, and you were uncircumcised. And you were called the uncircumcised by the circumcision, that is, by the Jews. They saw you as uncircumcised. And that, in a physical kind of form of identity identified you as not being part of the people of God. So therefore remember that you, once Gentiles in the flesh, who are called uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision made in the flesh by hands, that at that time you are without Christ. You see, again, they did not even believe in God for the most part. Let alone, in Christ, let alone believe in Christ. 
At that time you were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers from the covenants of promise. Now they had not been followers of God. They had not been students of the Old Testament scriptures, which were designed to guide people to Christ, the coming Savior. And before they became Christians, they didn't know anything about all that. They had not been following God. They did not believe in God, probably did not know God for the most part, and certainly did not know Jesus Christ. So that at that time you were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers from the covenants of promise, and then he says, having no hope and without God in this world. Now, so when someone is not walking with God, they have no hope. When they are not in Christ, they have no hope. We need to understand that. There is no hope outside of Jesus Christ. Remember what we brought out in an earlier section of this study. There is no, no, other, there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. There is salvation in no other. Acts 4 and verse 12. Remember that Jesus said in the night of his betrayal, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. John 14 and verse 6. Remember what John the Apostle wrote in 2 John chapter 1 and verse 9. Whoever transgresses and does not abide in or live in, live by the doctrine, the teachings of Christ, does not have God. So Paul is reminding them of the different realities that have existed in their lives. Before they became Christians, they were without God. They were without the Savior. They were without hope. They were in the world. And then verse 13, he says, But now, in Christ, you who once were far off, and he's already described how far off they were because of their having worshipped idols and not believing in God and not being in Christ. You who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Now this applies to everybody. You say, well, well wait a minute, I believe in God. I'm, I'm, I'm not what Paul was describing there as the uncircumcised and as those who are aliens from God. I believe in God. I believe in Jesus. But this applies to everybody in the sense that if you're not walking with God in Christ, then you are far off. You're aliens spiritually from God. You see, it's not just believing in God. Remember what James wrote in James chapter 2? Even the demons believe and tremble. 
But they're not with God. They're the demons. There are a whole lot of people who believe in God, but they're not with God. They believe in Jesus, but they're not in Christ. They're not Christians. They're not living godly lives. They're living in the ways of this world. They're like what Paul described earlier in the second chapter when he was reminding the Ephesians what they had been, how they had been living. He said, in which you once walked, or he said, when you were dead in your trespasses and sins, in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, just as the others. But by the grace of God, they were given the opportunity to come to him through Jesus Christ and be forgiven, to be redeemed, to be born again, to be saved, to be assured of eternal life in heaven. That's all by God's grace. Paul said earlier in this chapter, by grace you have been saved through faith. That not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. Not of works, lest anyone should boast. And so anybody who is not walking with God faithfully in obedience they can be understood by what Paul described here as being far off. Those who have never yet become true Christians are aliens, spiritually. The only way we can come to God for forgiveness and salvation is through Jesus Christ. Now, whatever the case that might be holding you back or holding anyone back from becoming a Christian, you need to let that go. You can be forgiven. You can be saved. You have to make up your mind, though. Look at what the Apostle John wrote in 1 John chapter 1 and verse 9. Well, let's go back to verse 8. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. By his grace, God offers you the opportunity to be forgiven through Jesus Christ. But you have to come to him through Jesus Christ. You have to come to him with a humble heart, repenting of your sins, ready to confess your faith in the Savior, ready to be baptized into him for the remission of your sins. Now, imagine that crowd on Pentecost, 
I don't know how many thousands there were in Acts chapter 2. We're simply told that about 3,000 were baptized into Christ that day. There must have been thousands more who did not respond to the call for their repentance and salvation. But imagine, imagine that crowd on that day. Look at how Peter taught them, trying to make them aware of their being far off from God's will. He said, verse 22 of Acts chapter 2, Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, attested by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves also know. Him being delivered by the determined purpose and foreknowledge of God, you have taken by lawless hands, have crucified and put to death. Now Peter was convinced convicting them of having crucified the Son of God. And then verse 24 says, whom God raised up, having loosed the pains of death because it was not possible that he should be held by it. In verse 36, Peter said, let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God has made this Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. They had crucified their Savior. They rejected him. They did not believe in him. They would not follow him. But that did not change the fact that he was still, and still is, the Savior, the Son of God. And so when they heard this, they were cut to the heart, verse 37. And said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? And what was the first thing Peter said? Verse 38, repent. And then he said, And let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. And you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. They had to change. Because if they continued their life of rejecting the Savior, they would be far off. And while you may believe in God, and you may believe in Jesus, you need to come to God through Jesus. And not just initially, but for life. To live by his teachings so that you can be in Christ. Otherwise, you're far off. You're alienated from God and your Savior. God wants to offer you, by his grace, salvation. He wants to help you turn that around, that reality in your life. That's what he did for those Christians in Ephesus and for those 3,000 on Pentecost. 
God's grace is offered to you. What are you going to do with it? Let's pray. Father, please guide us in your will to respond to your offer of grace for our salvation, for our eternal life, according to your will. Please guide all of us in this and guide everyone everywhere, we pray. Your will be done. Help us to make this our motto always in our lives. Please forgive us, gracious Father, and hear our prayer in Christ's name. Amen.